True or false? God forgives Christians of their sins if they confess them to Him. The answer? False. Coming up, you'll find out why as we talk about God's new covenant promise of total forgiveness. Welcome to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. In this podcast, you'll discover the more abundant life in Christ. And we are now in part 23 of our series, Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant. And we've taken time to zoom in on exactly what the New Covenant says as it's laid out in Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 10. And let's read it again. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Again, that's in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. That is the new covenant. And today we're going to be focusing on the last part of that passage, verse 12, where the Lord says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Before we dig into that verse and that aspect of the new covenant, let's take a few moments to review where we've been. God's promise. Uh, Last time we were talking about God's promise in verse 11 of chapter 8, where the Lord said, None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. You know, there is a vital link, as we found out last time, between eternal life and knowing God. Throughout the Gospel of John, that theme is repeated over and over again. Eternal life and the link to knowing God. You know, there is indeed, as we were saying in the previous lesson, an infinite difference between knowing about God and really knowing Him personally through firsthand experience. And it is this personal, relational knowing of God that is so important, so key. It's knowing God. And it's important also to understand that it is not based on our striving to know him, but it's based on his promise right here in the new covenant and his ability to make himself known to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, as I'm thinking about that, My mind goes back to the beginning of Hebrews, right at the very beginning in uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, that says, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us, in other words, made himself known to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds." Uh, that uh, And let me continue in verse 3 quickly. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Again, that's in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Before we get into today's lesson and, and again finishing up our thoughts 
on the subject of truly knowing God. And we could spend many podcasts on the subject because right at the heart of everything is knowing God, knowing him personally. You know, too many Christians today are pursuing knowledge about the so-called Christian life, uh, things like how to pray properly or how to study your Bible or how to be a better spouse, a better parent, a better citizen, a better leader, a better employee, a better church member, neighbor, etc. We hear a lot of talk and lessons and books about how to be more Christ-like or learning right from wrong, God's rules, or the so-called disciplines of the Christian life. But you see, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with those things? Well, that's just the problem. They're all things. Real Christianity is not the pursuit of so-called of the so-called things of the Christian life. Rather, Christianity is the enjoyment of real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Real Christianity is Jesus Christ himself. And you know the the apostle Paul gave up such things, and pursued knowing Christ. We talked about this at the end of the last lesson, Let's, but it bears repeating again, Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. He said, yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge. And again, that's epignosis, firsthand knowledge, experience, relational knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And again, that's in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Bottom line here, it's not the things of the Christian life, but the person of the Christian life, the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing him. Well, today, As we look at uh, Hebrews 8.12, we focus on the vastness of God's mercy, total forgiveness, and complete removal of our sins. Again, in the New Covenant promise, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, God is speaking and making a blood covenant promise. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12. You know, ask the average Christian, what do you have to do for God to forgive you? And most will cite 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. And uh, it says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, their viewpoint of forgiveness is this. You are completely forgiven until you sin. Then you also have to confess your sin in order to be forgiven and cleansed. I call this transient or temporary forgiveness. And this is building an entire theology of forgiveness of sins on just one verse. That's poor exegesis. That's poor 
um, understanding the truth of the Bible in context. In fact, that concept is not biblical at all. And we'll talk about 1 John 1, 9 a little bit later. Typically, however, when you talk to these same Christians who hold to this transient or temporary forgiveness and all they do is cite 1 John 1, 9, typically those same Christians are absolutely ignorant of a huge class of scriptures that speak of God's total forgiveness of sins based on the perfection of Christ, his perfect priesthood, his perfect life, perfect obedience, perfect suffering, perfect sacrifice with perfect blood at a perfect altar, dying a perfect death, rising with a perfect resurrection, with a perfect intercession and a perfect reign at the Father's right hand. They fail to realize such perfection and God's, the fact that God's forgiveness of them is perfect and forever complete. Now, looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, the Lord says, For I will be merciful, merciful. Now, mercy is not for the innocent. Mercy is for the guilty. If I was to show up, uh, I live in Center County in Pennsylvania in the United States, and if I was to show up at the judge's court and say, I'm guilty of murder, Uh, I'm a murderer, I'm a murderer, I'm a murderer, the judge would look at me and say, what's your problem? See, I've not committed murder, and so I'm not guilty before the bar of justice of the crime of committing murder. So I don't need mercy for murder. However, if I was found to be guilty of murder, then I'm guilty. I deserve just punishment for that crime. And the only way that I could be spared that punishment is if the judge would show mercy. You see, mercy is needed by the guilty. When the word mercy is used in the Bible, it implies wrong. It implies sin. It implies guilt. Mercy is not for the innocent, but for the guilty. In Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses, it talks uh, blow by blow about the fallenness of the entire human race, uh, following after the prince of the power of the air, Satan, following the course of this world, uh, pleasing ourselves, and we're by nature children of wrath. Now, what does all that deserve? being dead in trespasses and sins. It deserves condemnation. Why? Because of guilt, transgressing the holy, righteous goodness of God. But look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. If the story ended at verse 3, where it says, we were by nature children of wrath, that would be horrible. But look at what it says in Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Do you see that? Rich, rich in mercy. Wow, thank God that he is rich in mercy because our guilt is great, very great. We need not a little bit of mercy. We need a lot of mercy. And thank God for God's rich mercy. It overcomes and forgives the worst sin and the greatest guilt. Praise God. Over in Romans chapter 9, verse 16, more on the mercy of God. It says, So then it is not of him who wills, 
nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. You see, we're brought into everything about uh, the new covenant and the goodness of God and the blessing of God because of God's mercy. And uh, remember also what it says up there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. He's rich in mercy. And the reason for that, it says, because of his great love with which he loved us. That is incredible. God is merciful precisely because of his wonderful, bounteous, great love. Notice it says with which he loved, past tense, us. Why does it say the past tense? Because if he loved us back there when we were scoundrels, when we were disobedient, following the course of this world, following Satan, following the the uh, desires of the flesh and by nature, a children of wrath. If he could love us then with great love, certainly he loves us now. Of course, God's love, like everything about him, is perfect. It, it doesn't get better over time. How can you improve perfect? So God's mercy which is what guilty sinners need, is great. And it's great because of God's great love. Now, let's talk a while about this concept of total and forgiveness of sins. Not the confess sins to get rid of sins, temporary transient form, which is not biblical, but the biblical foundation, which is found at the heart of, of the new covenant of God saying, I will remember their sins no more. Let's talk about total forgiveness and the many verses that clearly uh, proclaim this. For instance, in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, it says, speaking of Christ to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And by the way, remission of sins means the removal of sins, as opposed to the old covenant that only provided a covering over and a temporary one of that of sin. Remission of sins. It says that whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Now notice please, that it is believing, not confessing, that results in receiving remission, forgiveness, and removal of sins. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14 says this, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's an echo from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 that we talked about, He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all, all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, that's the law, that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Do you see it? Wow. God has made us alive together with Christ, having forgiven, past tense, some of our sins? No, all of those sins. And those are all of the sins, past, present, and future. Let me ask you a question. In what tense was your sinning 
when Jesus died for you? Well, my calendar says that Jesus died 2,000 years ago. I was born in the year 1960. So Jesus did the dying for me long before I was even born, long before I sinned, and long before my past sins, present sins, and future sins, having forgiven you all trespasses. Continuing now in the many scriptures that talk about God's total and eternal forgiveness, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22b says this, and let me read this in the Amplified. It says, and without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of the due and merited punishment for sins. Now, other versions, the ESV, the NASB, the New International Version translated, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You know, as we can clearly see in this verse and its surrounding context in Hebrews 9.22, forgiveness and remission of sin is dependent upon blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of the of the due and merited punishment for sins. Forgiveness and remission is dependent upon blood, not forgiveness. And along the same vein, uh, no pun intended, I guess. <laughs> anyway, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 to 28, and we will be getting into Hebrews chapter 9 shortly. But it says this again, beginning in verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, listen to this, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation." Now, let's just uh, walk through these important verses bit by bit. First of all, verse 24, for Christ has entered heaven itself. Uh, He entered into the presence of God for us. And then in verse 25, it says, he did not appear many times as the law covenant priests with the blood of another. Uh, And remember what the effect of that, the old covenant sacrifices was, the effect of of the sacrifices was temporary and incomplete because those sacrifices were imperfect. Why? Well, because they were offering the blood of animals. And even the priests that did the offering were themselves sinners. That as And so the result of that is that it was imperfect, it was temporary, and it needed to be endlessly repeated. Now you get into the new covenant and the Lord Jesus Christ who is perfect, and we talked about how perfect he is, perfect life, perfect obedience, perfect high priest, perfect offering, perfect intercession, perfect blood, perfect death, perfect resurrection and ascension and intercession. How can you improve perfect for goodness sake? The Lord Jesus Christ offered a perfect sacrifice with perfect blood. And so 
As it says in verse 28 of Hebrews 9, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Once, one time. Another verse in that particular passage, it says, but now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I hope you're getting the sense that this business of temporary and transient forgiveness is certainly not biblical new covenant forgiveness. That the perfect offering of the Lord Jesus Christ was so perfect it doesn't have to be improved or repeated and therefore was offered once for all time. Notice it says he has appeared in verse 26. The tense, the uh, grammatical tense of the Greek there is perfect, meaning done completely. The ESV, I think, better renders it than the New King James that I typically use. It says he has appeared once for all, once for all. Verse 28, Jesus, it says, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. This is the heart of the matter. This is the key to total and eternal forgiveness. And and the strongest argument really about total forgiveness as opposed to the first John 1 9 crowd with their temporary transient forgiveness that is not biblical, that is certainly not new covenant. Um, most of the argument is is the entire book of Hebrews. Well, let's move on. More verses about the total forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this, In him we have, notice the tense, have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. When did we secure that? We secured it with him in the past. When he did the dying, that did it all. We don't need to ask God for something we already have, forgiveness. We already have the forgiveness. We already have the redemption through his blood. And all of that, as it says in Ephesians verse 1 verse uh, I'm sorry, chapter 1 verse 7 is according to the riches of his grace. You know, this is not so much an argument that I need to win. That that's really irrelevant. I hope you're encouraged by the fact of the totality, the perfection, and the completeness of the forgiveness you have received and the eternality, the forever nature of the forgiveness that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ, secured through the new covenant. Okay, moving on. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says this, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave, past tense, forgave you. Now, see here, we can forgive now because Christ has already forgiven us. That's key. It's not going to forgive, which is what the confess for forgiveness crowd says, but forgive then. And the manifestation of being forgiven is that we forgive. You know, I think that's the big reason why Christians sometimes have a really hard time forgiving others. They think that God is relating to them in the terms of forgiveness up until they sin the next time. And so the whole basis of the relationship is rocky. I don't know about you, but but I fail. 
And don't forget what the Bible's definition of uh, sin is. In um, Romans chapter 16, verse 23, I believe it says, all that is not of faith is sin. How many things today did you do without faith? Every single time you were sinning. I am so glad my life and my relationship with the Lord is resting upon the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect blood, perfect sacrifice and offering, and for the total remission of my sins and the total forgiveness I've received from him. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I want to dig into this one. Um, It says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, Speaking of Jesus, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged, purged, past tense, our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you notice purged, past tense? What that Greek word means is expiation or cleansing. Expiation means, again, the removal of something and cleansing. It's the complete removing of something. Um, We sometimes will use the word of, uh, for instance, purging a gas out from an enclosed area, for instance. Um, This Greek word is in the Greek aorist tense, which refers to an action that is performed not continuously, but performed at one point in time. He purged our sin, one purging, perfect forever. The Amplified says of this uh, same verse there in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, when he had by offering himself accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt. I like that. Jesus, by offering himself, accomplished something perfectly. What was it? The cleansing of my sin, of your sins, and the riddance of guilt. Praise God. Good riddance indeed. And then it says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, the seated position in the Bible refers to the fact that all the work is accomplished and finished. He is seated right now and forever at the right hand of God the Father. He has accomplished all. He has finished all. More of the myriad of verses that clearly testify about the total and eternal nature of God's forgiveness of us and our sins. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death, in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Okay, let's break this verse down and have a look. First of all, it says, once for sins, the remission and the forgiveness. Christ also suffered once for sins. That is the basis of the remission, the removal of sins. It's the basis of our forgiveness. It says, the just for the unjust. The unjust one is me. And that speaks of justification. Justification is being made just through the justness of another. And justification means being just is a right standing with God because of being justified by the just one, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the um, 
Justification itself is an incredible um, biblical truth and doctrine. A lot of that is in the book of uh, Romans, uh, chapter 4 particularly. Uh, But the idea of being justified means that we are given uh, the same standing before God the Father being 100% righteous, 100% just, and our standing with the Father, not just the negative of not having sin, but the extreme positive. When you think about Jesus and his standing with God the Father, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being low, 10 being the best. Uh, what kind of standing do you think that Jesus has with God the Father? Yeah, I think it's a thousand, <laughs> right? Jesus has an amazing standing with the Father. Well, guess what? Justification, Jesus being the just for the unjust, making you just by his justness. Your standing with the God the Father is exactly the same, that thousand percent fantastic. You know, for many years uh, as a Christian, and many Christians have this viewpoint of God, you know, I kind of believed that God was in this sort of uh, celestial swivel chair. You know, um, if he was, if, if I did good and I I was in good standing with him. Things were good and, and I could be blessed. And, and, and the face of the father was faced toward me and he was smiling and he was happy saying, well done, my son. But if I made a mistake, if I sinned, he swung the civil swivel chair away from me and he was displeased with me. And so it would go round and round. And guess what? My Christian walk went round and round. Many Christians wonder why they're up and down like a roller coaster. Well, it's because they believe that God is in a celestial swivel chair. Well, dear one, your justification, your just standing with God, your standing with God is not based upon your righteousness and your goodness. It is based upon the infinite and perfect righteousness and goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ throw the swivel chair away. It's totally irrelevant. Praise the Lord. You see, Jesus suffered once for sin, the just one for me and you, the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. You see, he did that, that he would uh, bring us to God, that our sins and our trespasses, which stood in the way Uh, between us and God are forever removed, as it says in the Psalms, as far as the East is from the West. It enables us to draw near and be close to God. Jesus' suffering and death for sins removes the barrier, and we can always draw near and close in intimate relationship with God. Listen, the same kind of intimacy as the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not based on upon your performance. It's based upon the perfections of Jesus and the perfection of his performance. Well, I wish I wouldn't have to stop, but the old clock is saying time is up. And we're going to continue with part two of the subject of God's rich mercy and his total forgiveness next time on Daily in Christ. Let's take a moment to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you because of your great mercy with which you loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, 
Because of your great love with which you loved us, you've made us alive with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as we just relax and rest and reflect upon this perfect position, this perfect standing that we have with you because of Jesus, it's so good to know, Lord, that the swivel chair is gone It isn't a situation of he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. No, Lord. Oh, Father, you paid an infinite price through the life and the blood of your precious son, Jesus, to secure for us a perfect standing with you that's forever. And Lord, I thank you too that that, uh, we have total and forever forgiveness. That was secured 2,000 years ago, Lord. And we don't have to confess our sins to be forgiven. We are forgiven and we can rejoice and praise you, Lord. I thank you for that, Father. Dear Lord, I pray that you would, through the Spirit, continue to illuminate the truths, the biblical truths of your wonderful mercy and your total and eternal forgiveness through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we give you praise. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.